Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, and uh, right now, watcher of a few things. We got Wimbledon, that's on, that I always enjoy, Paul. And we've got Hijack on Apple TV starring Idris Elba, which seems to be like the popular thing right now. People are talking about Hijack. This is a show, seven episode series on Apple TV Plus starring no other than Idris Elba, one of the most handsome men on the planet. Yeah, it's fair to say. I've seen the first episode. I like it. So here's the thing. It's suspenseful. I don't know if it's necessarily scary, but I do fly enough where I'm like, I don't want to be thinking about this if I'm getting on a plane. But yeah, yeah, Idris is just so damn handsome. How do you not watch it? <laughs> yeah, and the, and the premise of the show, without giving spoilers, it's um every episode is an hour on this plane that has been hijacked, and uh, you kind of learn who Idris Elba is, what these people want. The premise is kind of nuts, and obviously there's probably like a bunch of plot holes, but I find it to be quite entertaining. I'm into yeah. it. Yeah. I'm into it. It's, it's it's suspenseful for sure. So we took a week off. I did get a couple questions from some of our uh, audience, you know, what was up, but it was the 4th of July holiday. Mash, you were traveling. That's right. So we decided to take a break, waiting for those um, Michael Rubin white party invites to come, yeah. but they didn't. Would have been a nice episode to do from the Hamptons, though. Yeah, that party uh, was insane. I wasn't familiar with the guy. I know a lot of people are. It was all over TikTok because this was the who's who party in the Hamptons with all these celebrities wearing God knows how much money on their wrists. These things are so, what's the word? Excessive? Not only excessive, but tone deaf. Michael's, by all accounts, entirely self-made. College dropout, built a business, entrepreneur, sold that to eBay, has been leveling up has fanatics. So he's savvy and, yeah. you know, if you believe in capitalism, I think he's played by the rules and he's done really well for himself. And I suppose he should be commended for that. But at the same time, it does seem, like you said, tone deaf when you have a bunch of people that are like flying all around the world to attend this party, wearing whatever they're wearing, you know, and there's people struggling. We're going to talk about it at the end of the episode, you know, writers, actors are literally concerned about whether their professions will have a future that will enable them to like make ends meet. And you know, other people have, you know, millions of dollars on their wrists. Yeah. So, listen, well, it's to I, each his own, to, to each his own. Like, right. uh, but I, I look, I was entertained by the videos, but it is, it is one of those things. He has a lot of contacts, like yeah. clearly like who, the who's who of athletes, musicians, entertainers, well, well, speaking of, you know, excessive items, there is that microscopic handbag that just sold for $63,000 that was made by that group Mischief. Mischief. And it was a Louis Louis Vuitton 3D printed microscopic handbag, the size that could go through the loop on the it's needle. That's how tiny it is. Three hundredths of an inch thick. So that is smaller than a grain of sea salt. You could barely see it, right? Barely visible, would fit on the tip of your finger. $63,000. It is humorous in a way because 
Jessica showed me this before the auction. And I remember thinking, someone's got probably going to spend $1,000 on that, even though it has no actual purpose. And 63000 so it blew my estimate that out of the so water. That's so insane to me. I think it's a commentary on the fact that these luxury bags are getting smaller and smaller, or like these, these tiny bags right. that are fashion accessories that don't have any functional purpose. And obviously this wouldn't hold anything. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. And also the power of mischief and, you know, I guess these drops... It's a collector's item. I think this was auctioned by Pharrell, yeah, by his his, uh, his Jupiter auction um, house. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, that's just who's spending $65,000 on that clearly is like that is nothing for them. So, well, it'd be pretty easy to misplace it, you know. <laughs> yeah, or like lose what it. What is this? A bag for ants? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what's going on right now, but there's uh microscopic bags for $60,000, people wearing $8 million watches at a white party. But uh, this is the world that we live in, man. It is. It is. That, that is that is it. I mean, they just opened up a, in my block in Williamsburg. There's a Chanel and there's a Hermes that just opened up on the same block. So uh, I thought that was pretty funny. I think we're coming out of this recession. Yeah, it, sounds se like. it seems you know, like it. All the it indicators like are. It. Prices you know. are still going up, though. But um, and, and, you know, speaking of prices going up, I think we're, we're looking at potentially one of the best performing franchises, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one, be out on Wednesday. It should be the, you know, I think it has every reason to beat the record of the last one, Fallout, which was the highest grossing Mission Impossible movie. So we'll see if Dead Reckoning does it. I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now and 99% on Rotten Tomatoes for now. We'll see what happens. But uh, let's just say that Tom Cruise doesn't miss. It released internationally premiered on the Spanish Steps in Rome, June 19th, and its U.S. release date is July 12th, which coincidentally is actually when the SAG agreement is set to expire as of now. So I don't think that's related, but maybe as an actor, he wouldn't really be allowed to market it or promote it if SAG was on strike. Right. Yeah, you're right. Highest rated Rotten Tomatoes score for the Mission Impossible franchise, Mission Impossible 7, but the last three or four installments have all been, you know, really Killers. highly regarded. I love those movies, um, man. I love I like him too. I it's like unbelievable. He's 61 years old. He still looks amazing. He still does his own stunts. Ageless guy. And yeah, it's a fun movie apparently. You know, I'm I'm glad it's coming out because this along with a handful of others was really impacted by the pandemic yeah. because Italy was a huge part of the shooting locations yeah. during 2020. So I think the release date was delayed maybe four or five times to finally come out next week. And I think it's expected to make between 90 and 110 million initial opening. So hopefully it outperforms that. I, I'm going to watch it. I mean, look, I, I think the movies just get better and better, obviously, besides the second one. But we've talked about this before. You know, Ghost Protocol was amazing. Rogue Nation was amazing. Fallout was pretty good. Now we got a two-parter coming up. And I'm excited. And it's been like five years since the last Mission Impossible movie. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see it. You're a Rebecca Ferguson fan, I right? love Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. And she's also in Silo, which is on Apple TV Plus that I started watching. But I'm a big fan of hers. I'm a big fan of Tom Cruise, the whole cast. Love Mission Impossible. I'm excited to see it. Cool. Well, let us know what you think. I will keep you all posted. Let's take a quick break. We'll get back and we'll talk about what's going on at NBC Universal. There's some restructuring going on. We'll get into it. Mm -hmm. 
So Mesh, you know the saying, life imitates art. So when I was prepping for this, and I do a lot of work in the industry, and obviously NBCU is a major player owned by Comcast, who's the largest MVPD linear programming operator in the country. And they also have Peacock and a bunch of other things. So they own NBC, they own Universal. Uh, there were some shakeup. So the former CEO of NBCU, Jeff Shell, was let go in April after it was reported that he had an inappropriate relationship with one of the CNBC mm. anchor people. Yep. I think her name was Hadley. And so Jeff Shell leaves and the president of Comcast, Mike Cavanaugh, who's actually a shout out because he's a lawyer turned investment banker or maybe the other way around. I'm not sure. But I think he was a lawyer turned investment banker. He's been president of Comcast, spent some time at Carlisle and JP Morgan. And as president of Comcast, which owns NBCU, he basically has taken over Jeff Shell's job and he hasn't hired a CEO for NBCU. He's added that to his list of responsibilities. And over the past two and a half months, he's gotten to know more and more about the business. And they just announced a shakeup. This reminded me of Succession. Because oh, yeah. you know how Tom is trying so hard <laughs> and always thinking about how he's going to advance in every single yes. situation, like who to suck up to, who to sabotage. He's also very calculating. He's super focused on like getting that next title. So he goes from parks to running ATN. And now we have this in real life. You have NBCU, which has four divisions. They have the studios group, yep. which will be run by Donna Langley. She was heading basically motion picture. Now she's going to be heading content for film and TV. You have NBCU Media, which is headed by Mark Lazarus, and that's TV and streaming, but it's really more of a monetization distribution. So like content and distribution go hand in hand. The content person, to simplify the analogy, the content people spend the money, the distribution people make the money. And then you have NBCU News, which is the third division. That's headed by Cesar Conde. And then finally they have Universal Destinations and Experiences, which is their parks That's group. That's like Universal Studios and stuff, right? And like yeah, that. so they have five parks worldwide operated. The head is Mark Woodbury. So Jeff Shell had to hire this woman, Susan Rovner. She was a longtime Warner exec, and she's leaving. So basically, Jeff, the CEO, asked to leave or forced to leave, fired basically. And then his person is now leaving two and a half months later, probably because there weren't a lot of people on her side. Right. Left And so that sort of succession gives you, although it's a drama, it gives you kind of a window into how those politics work. People start to get left off meetings or left off emails <laughs> or have less and less responsibility, and then they just decide to leave. But Donna Langley's basically spent her career. She was at, started at New Line um, as a production executive, and she was SVP of production for Universal in 2001. And she's just getting promoted to like running all of film and television content for NBC, which is a huge job. And she's had a really good track record. I mean, she's highly regarded in the industry. She's been responsible for the Jurassic World That's franchise, right. and, the and Bourne Fast franchise the Futures, early right? in her career. Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious. And she's also overseen a lot of the animation. You know, they had a, a, a home run with, like, Illumination's had a lot of hits right, with, you with know, Spickable Me and the Minions. Super Mario and recently. Super Mario Brothers. You know, she's widely regarded in Hollywood as a straightforward, good eye for talent, good executive. She has great relationships with talent and having like she has first look deals with Jordan Peele and the That's a big one. Yeah, Jordan Peele, Phil Lord, Chris Miller, you know, great 
filmmaking duo behind like the Lego movies, Super Mario Brothers, as we said. They also did 21 Jump Street. And she has a first look deal with uh, LeBron James's company, Spring Hill. So she's got a lot of connections and she can keep the content flowing. And NBCU has the resources. So good for her. You know, she's got, it's a bigger job now than she had before because she can control film and TV and like what they're producing. Yeah, it's interesting just to break down NBCU and like where they fit amongst all media companies right now. So their number two film studio, Global Market Share, $3 billion to date in box office numbers. And then they have the number one TV portfolio by total audience with the largest reach of any media company. You know, obviously their news channel, NFL, Premiership League, all that. It is interesting to see the shakeups that come internally, a lot of internal politics, but they're sitting on, you know, I guess what would be some great assets and, and potentially the ability to just get things done once they find the right leadership. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to wrap your head around like how big of a company Comcast is. It's probably like 200, close to 200,000 employees. I don't know, 100 billion in revenue, something crazy, I'm sure. And just looking at the amount of things Mark Lazarus, for example, is in charge of, TV distribution, Peacock, direct-to-consumer, affiliate relations, monetization, all of those different things. And he reports to... Mike, or maybe he reports to Don, or maybe they collectively report to Mike, and then Mike runs Comcast. So there's a lot going on. And and we talked about this in the past, and it may become an issue next year. They may do a deal for Hulu, right? They currently right. own a non-controlling interest, and I think Disney's deciding what they want to do with it. They can buy out Comcast, or maybe they'll sell it to Comcast, or maybe they'll sell it to someone else. I don't know. But Imagine adding that to Mark's portfolio, right? That's a huge company there too. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, like you almost nailed it. it was, it's, yeah, Comcast is about $120 billion in revenue. And when you think about these other areas, it's like Peacock does, Peacock Streaming does about like $2 billion in revenue. They have around 22 million subscribers. So like they're smaller pieces of the overall Comcast bucket, but collectively make up a big portion of media in general. Yeah, I mean, it's really smart, right? Because Comcast started as a distribution company and then they acquired NBCU because content feeds the pipeline. Right. So if they can get content and then distribute it out, you know, and they have all this control over it, then there's synergies there, which is a lot of companies have tried that, but they don't have the resources of Comcast to pull it all off. And they're responding to things like cord cutting and advancing. They have you know, an ad-supported distribution platform in Zumo. They have Peacock, which started out as ad-supported. Now you got to pay for it. So they're on the cutting edge of responding to cord cutting. They have broadband in so many millions of homes and, and cable. So they're just very well connected. And then NBC fits in their portfolio, ideally. It seems like all these companies are going through shakeups and, and leadership changes. So... We'll be keeping an eye on things and seeing where it goes. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about one major shift that could be coming right after the break. So, Mesh, we've been talking about this for a couple months now, notably episode 216, episode 218, WGA is on strike. We've talked about unions, labor unions, what they do, why they work, how they're effective for their members in terms of giving them the power to negotiate against employers by withholding services and, and industries that have unions. Generally, uh, the workers end up doing better, earning more than workers where there aren't unions, but it can be a case-by-case -case analysis. So anyway, WGA is on strike, which is not 
that uncommon. They've been on strike before. Last time they were on strike was 2008. But it's not a super uncommon thing. It's not great. And it has caused a lot of productions in the U.S. Any sort of scripted production is basically on pause. And what could be very compelling or interesting is if SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, also goes on strike. So Mm. their deal with the AMPTP, they do three-year deals or cycles of three-year deals. And their deal is supposed to expire June 30th. And then they agreed to a two-day extension to work through the weekend, right before 4th of July. And then they've agreed to another extension through July 12th. And so they could, I guess, agree to another extension on the 12th if they don't have a deal. But another option would be that they would strike. So they either do a deal for three years or an extension to keep negotiating, or they strike and join the WGA on the picket lines. And if SAG and WGA strike, Hollywood would basically come to a stop. And so this hasn't happened over 60 years. Mm. The last time SAG even had a strike was 1980. It's just not something that they commonly do. But as we've talked about, the industry is really in upheaval. Uh, A lot of it is the impact of streaming and uh, the fact that talent doesn't feel like they get adequate residuals from streaming. They want higher minimums. They want better pension, health, and welfare contributions. And I think there are some concerns about the impact of AI and whether voice actors in particular can be replaced with AI. Oh, yeah, interesting. But it's highly confidential. SAG really isn't releasing statements. The AMPTP is not releasing statements as to what they're negotiating. There's like a media blackout. But Fran Drescher, who was the nanny, she's the president of SAG. No, No, I didn't know that. she released a statement going into the weekend, which was a little cryptic, saying that, you know, they're working around the clock. They have the best interests of the actors in mind and they're going to get a a seminal deal. Well, in the case of this, right, if there's a strike and we're in summer box office mode, actors are not allowed to go on promotional tours. Is that what happens? Yeah, you can't render any services. So typically that would mean you can't appear on camera. You can't do press. You can't go to award shows. You can do non-covered services. So I guess if you were an actor out of work, I wonder if you could. I think there's a gray area as to whether you could do like social media services or get paid to be a paid influencer. But you could do unrelated things like you could be, you know, like an Uber driver or could do things like that. But you can't render on camera performances for anything that SAG covers, which is a film, television, new media, video games, voice acting. Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie coming out with Barbie, a very anticipated movie, July 21st. You know, that's a big movie competing with Oppenheimer that same weekend. In that case, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling wouldn't be able to go on any talk shows. Right, yeah. So they wouldn't be able to appear on camera. I think it's a bit of a gray area whether they could do like a podcast or do social media. So it's it's tricky, right? Because as an actor, you have to stand with your other actors. Yeah. So just because they have a movie coming out on the 21st, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think they want to be viewed as undermining the rest. If SAG is really on strike at that time, they would probably stand in line with them. And and the leading up to June 30th, 97 some percent of SAG voted to authorize a strike because they really do want, right. they wanted to show the studio execs at the AMPTP that they meant business, that they want a new deal and that they want like a, they don't want an incremental deal. They want like a transformative yeah. deal. And the writers are arguing for similar issues. And like I said, I haven't seen a situation where SAG has been on strike and really, I was in law school when the WGA went on strike. So I haven't worked through anything like this before in my career. And I think a lot of people are very 
apprehensive about the future of the business and what's going to cause the studios to come back to the table and start to agree to some of these demands. When do the writers and, and potentially the actors start to feel the pinch of not having income coming in? And when do they start to maybe retrench their positions or, or try to find a middle ground or try harder? But as a fan, I feel like, you know, not as a, as a lawyer, but as a fan, I feel that studios and streamers probably aren't going to really take this seriously until there's some material amount of subscriber losses. If the revenue starts to dry up and people are like, hey, I don't want to pay for stuff because I'm not getting new content, then maybe they'll start to bend a little. But there's also a huge lag, right? When things are going into production now, they're probably not going to be released for a year and a half to two right, years. Right, right, right. So there is a backlog of stuff that could potentially come out. But if the actors are on strike, that means you can't do reshoots, you can't do marketing, you can't do production. And a lot of things require reshoots. Like A lot of these high-budget movies, they, they do touch-ups. They, they fix things. But if you can't fix it in post-production, you might need to bring in the actors and redo a scene. And that's a big part of the business that they won't be able to do. So things are in the can, they're ready and locked and edited, then, yeah, you can distribute them. But at some point, if all of Hollywood stops making new content, people are going to stop wanting to pay for it. Yeah, so it could get really messy. I I'm curious to see what happens. Obviously, we'll we'll keep everyone posted on that. But, I mean, speaking of up-and-coming content, to end our show this week, just to do a little preview of Comic-Con coming back for 2023, I went through the list of just the different panels and stuff. I mean, I'm not sure what's going to be shown from Marvel, etc. but... Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because of the strike, Marvel, a lot of the major players are not going to attend Comic-Con. Ah, okay. So, so that's why it seemed pretty light. Yeah. So Marvel's not going to be there. HBO's not going to be there. Netflix is not going to be there. Lucasfilm, Universal, Sony. All, they're all, they've all announced that they're skipping Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con this year. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's why it felt pretty, I was like looking through it. And I was like, this seems like a, like a, the second event. Like, you know, that you'd get just a, yeah. an addition. Yeah, this is the stuff that, like, you wouldn't have to wait in yeah, line exactly. for, I guess. So <laughs> that wasn't related to SAG. That was actually a result of the WGA strike. Right. But obviously, if SAG is is in a strike at that point, then it'll make things even worse. Like, it's actors aren't going to appear. I mean, I think part of it is it's maybe a bad look for the studios if they show up and they do, like, tone deaf sort yeah, of. Yeah, if they yeah, do, yeah. like, this big celebration when the writers and actors are out of work. And also... What can you do? I mean, you can maybe have like the studio execs and the creative execs, but you couldn't have the writers or the actors. And they may not have content to show if the if they haven't been making anything for the past couple right. of months. The other thing is Comic-Con, which we talked about last year, is such a fun event. The real losers in this are the fans because, you know, Comic-Con, it's like a huge celebration. San Diego in particular, it's like a huge celebration. It's a week-long party. You have amazing weather in downtown San Diego. You have all the comic nerds and studios and super fans and cosplayers and everyone is there. And it's like all about the culture and people just get to learn about the next big thing that's coming out. And they see teaser footage and like they get to access the talent and do Q&As and go to these panels and you wait in line for you know hours and hours. And it was a big part of what we looked forward to when we were working, when I was working at Marvel, like we all did because like that genuine fan interest, there's nothing like it. And it's just a huge celebration. So the fact that, you know, Marvel and HBO and Netflix aren't showing up, it's just, 
it's really a bummer for fans. Yeah, man. I mean, look, uh, I was looking through it, and even though it was light, I picked some of the things that I thought were interesting. Obviously, there's a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem coming out. They're doing a panel that's uh, made by Seth Rogen. Looks pretty cool. Not going to lie. I'm an old, old school Turtles fan from the 90s. Paramount Plus original movie, Hold the Sauce, Good Burger 2. If you're a, a Good Burger fan from the Nickelodeon days, Kenan Thompson and Cal Mitchell. And then Peacock's original series, Twisted Metal, which was based on the PlayStation game. I used to play that game. Anthony Mackie, Will Arnett, Thomas Hayden Church. It's the uh, guys who did Deadpool and Cobra Kai. And then finally, Peacock is making The Continental from the world of John Wick, uh, which is going to be a prequel to the John Wick universe. That is, that's what I mean by that was light. Like, oh, you're missing one. You're missing my favorite which show. Which one? Rick and Morty? Futurama. Oh, Futurama. Okay. No, Rick and Morty, 10th anniversary, but Futurama was like one of my favorite shows from the creator of Simpsons, I, I, I loved Matt Graney. Futurama. It was great. And 10-year hiatus, and now they're coming back with new shows on Hulu. Ah, uh, okay. I did miss that. I, I, I always loved Futurama. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely check that out as well. But but that's kind of what I mean by it. it felt like I was reading the... Um, like that was not the main hall to your point that was like the free stuff that you get it seemed a little light but that that was still that's some decent like fandom stuff there i think there's still a little bit well yeah it's still going to be a party san diego still san diego but it's not going to have the heft of last year or typical years and it's a bummer because they had to take 2 years off because of the pandemic last year they were back but everyone was masked and it was probably like socially distant so this year i think if it weren't for the wga strike and it weren't for this potential SAG, who knows what the what they're gonna do. I think it would be more like 2022 or years past. But another trend is like Disney, Netflix, they've started to create their own events. Like Disney has D23 and Netflix has Tadum, and they're trying to create like their own fan-centric events focused on their brand so that they're not helping market other competitors. Yes. Yeah. Well, well. Overall, will be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks with everything with the writer's strike, with SAG, how it affects promotion, how does it affect marketing, how does it affect the restructuring of all these companies, like everything we talked about, and of course, Comic-Con. But we'll keep you all posted and just keep reporting back. Thanks, everyone. That's our show for this week. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Tell your friends about us. Share it with your friends and family. And uh, follow us at Better Call Paul, the podcast, IG, and IG and TikTok. Follow me on Twitter at Mesh Lakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. See you all next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>